Thanks for joining us again, episode three, the Thrill Me podcast. I'm your host, Adam. Jared's beside me. Adam, how good are to be we? Here, mate. Hmm? What have you been diving into, movie and TV wise, since we last recorded? Well, you could probably just um, cut a little bit out of the last podcast and replay it here <laughs> because I'm uh, I'm sounding like a broken record. Robocop TV show. Robocop TV show. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that not grating on you? Look, it's okay. It's got its moments. It's sort of touching on uh, a lot of things that uh, these TV shows that, or movies that set themselves in the future touch on, like, you know, organs as a commodity, body oh, organs yeah. as a commodity and things like that. Yeah. So it goes these really interesting ideas and then just sort of it's continuing on this highs and lows sort of thing that I, I've mentioned previously. Um, but I'm sticking with it. Yeah, one of the one of the last episodes I watched, it's about 42 minutes long and uh, – I was asleep by the 30-minute mark, and I would like to think that's possibly a couple of late nights with the kids, um, but it might be the show. You think it's the quality of the show? <laughs> might be. Dipping with every episode? No. it's it, As I said, I'm sticking with it. Um, I'm a fan of Robocop, so I'll, I'll work my way through it. Fair enough. Anything else? No. Very slim pickings for me this week. Okay. Um, didn't really get a lot of time to watch movies and stuff. I did catch The Equaliser. The Denzel Washington Revenge One of our favourites, Denzel. On, yes, um, big fan of Denzel. Denzel makes this movie a three-star movie when it's really probably a one-and-a-halfer. It's the type of movie that you'd probably find at, at midday on Channel 7. They should have put Denzel in Stone Cold. <laughs> <laughs> Not even Denzel could have covered Stone Cold's uh, problems, but Denzel's a really you know, charismatic guy. He could pretty much read to the phone book and you'd be impressed. And he turns this into a far better movie than it has a right to be. Hmm. Um, but he's he's been in better movies of, of recent time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Man on Fire and those sorts of movies are far better. But it's still a decent watch. I also got B B movie um, with a with what I consider one of the better remakes, The Blob. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I haven't Actually, seen it in about ten years, but I remember it being pretty. Yeah, good. I hadn't seen it for years, and. Um, I sat down and watched it, and I really enjoyed it. It's, look, it's goofy, it's kind of silly, but it, it its heart's in the right place, and it takes the material. Let's face it, the blob is a kind of stupid um, entity, but it gives it enough juice to, to be entertained by it, and I really did enjoy it. So another one that I would you know, recommend to horror fans out there. Mm. But that's pretty much it for me. Again, right. slim pickings. And we call ourselves... Uh, movie, fans. Action, movie fans. Yeah. Look, it's, it's been a bit of a. Uh, obviously, we watched the movie for tonight as well. So we'll take a quick short break and then we'll come back. Our main event for tonight is Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. You may only see it once, but that will be enough. Friday, the 13th. Tonight's movie, Friday the 13th, from 1980, the original. Directed by Sean Cunningham. He directed some pictures, A Stranger is Watching and Deep Star 6. He hasn't actually directed a movie since 2006. So I think producing's more his bag. Uh, and being involved with the Friday the 13th series in the later instalments, I think, was where he sort of got to. 
Um, it's produced by Sean Cunningham, Alvin Geller, and Steve Miner. Steve Miner, um, for Friday the 13th fans and, and people who, who know the movies fairly well, will know Steve Miner is uh, the director of parts two and three of the series. He also went on to direct uh, Halloween H2O. So he's got a bit of a slasher pedigree. The movie was written by Victor Miller, Sean Cunningham, and Ron Kurtz. Now, Victor Miller was a he was a soap opera writer for All My Children and Guiding Light and things of that nature, I think in the 70s and 80s. Ron Kurtz is the interesting figure in this whole thing. Kurtz actually went on to write the sequel. He's uncredited in this movie, and I believe there's a little bit of bad blood. Certainly it was covered somewhat in Crystal Lake Memories, the book, that Victor Miller kind of was squeezed out a little bit, I think, of, of the production, uh, and Kurtz was brought in to, to make changes. They don't really go into it in depth in not either the jump, book. Uh, not to jump too far ahead, but I don't know if I'd be fighting too hard for credit of uh, writing this one. No, but I think it all came down to money in, yeah. the, in the end, and, and I get the feeling Miller's a little bit um, pissed. Yeah, he didn't he quite make the money on the side. He always comes across that way. Yeah. The movie stars Betsy Palmer as Pamela Voorhees. She was a TV and theatre actress in the 50s, 60s and 70s. Hadn't really done a lot of work, I believe, in, before getting Friday the 13th. Adrian King plays Alice Hardy. She was actually had a background as a dancer and, and was um, seen in Saturday Night Fever and Hair. She also cropped up in a small cameo role in the sequel. And, of course... Kevin Bacon mm. starters Jack Burrell. Of course, we all know Kay Bacon from Footloose, Few Good Men, Apollo 13, and, of course, he's now back on telly um, with a Kevin Williamson show, isn't it? Guy from Scream, writer of Scream, Scream called The Following. Following. Yeah, yeah, I think. I hear it's shit, but, you know, it, had, it never tickled my fancy. Listen, mate, if it's person. good enough for Bacon, it's worth a look. <laughs> all right, all right, I better, better look into it. <laughs> um, this movie was budgeted at 550000 and made a whopping $37 million on that, on, against that budget. So in today's money, you're looking at well over 100 mil. Fair return. Fair return, fair return. Okay, Jared, general thoughts, mate. General thoughts. Because um, I know this movie, we go back with this movie a long way. Yeah. Uh, it was a little bit sad almost watching it this time around. I don't know whether it's the, you know, the familiarity or the age, but for the first time I just watched it and thought in the cold light of day, it's a pretty average movie overall. There's still aspects that I like uh, and we'll go into all that sort of stuff, but there's portions of the movie that are just a chore to watch, and I never really got that sense previously. I mean, it's got its, it's, got its good points, um, but overall, yeah, there was, just, there was just a lot more downers than I actually remember in it. I still have a real fondness for it, and I still, I guess I could say I really do still love the movie, and I'm going to give it a three and a half, but even as I say that, I'm not sure whether that's on the strength of this or my fondness for what came after this and the, the series as a whole. I can't sort of maybe just can't bring myself to separate it. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I'll stick with a three and a half. Yeah, I think sad's a, a good word for it. The film has its merits, as you said. We will delve a bit deeper into those. There's still things about it that I love and I still look on it fondly every time I watch it. But, yeah, to be honest, it has real sluggish stretches through the middle and it just, it gets bogged down in a lot of rubbish. 
It's not streamlined. It's like something like Halloween that we, we reviewed two episodes ago. I look back on that and I still feel it works every time. Yeah. This just has these lulls and these ugly patches where the budget shines through, the acting problems shine through, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, I think it's um, – I, I can sort of see now why it was kind of reviled by yeah, yeah. the critics. But in saying that, I'm a bit like you. I have a real love for it and a fondness for it because I go back so long with it, and it's still three out of five. It still does enough at in points to do – get some right. Yep. And for me, that's still three out of five. But I think as we go a bit deeper into it in the next part of the podcast, I think we're going to find that, you know, we're going to nitpick. Yeah. We're probably going to find we're going to nitpick a bit. So, you know, we don't, you know, we know that there's a real love for this film, but we're looking at it with fresh eyes. Probably yeah, it's really exactly look right. Back on it a long time. And we still do love it. I would still say it's a movie that I love. I'd still categorize it. I can it chuck that. it on any time. Yeah. Like, I can chuck it on any time and I can still get some enjoyment out of yeah, it. Yeah, it was just that first time where I looked at this and just that, that kind of reverence had sort of rubbed off a it's little bit. It's faded, yeah, it's yeah. faded. It, it's like the, it's kind of like the old antique that you find and it's just. It's now looking a bit weathered, yeah. a little bit shitty, and showing up a few, showing up its and ages and you know, its age and stuff like that. So really, look, let's get into the likes. Let's get into let's it. break straight into the likes because I, I know there are things to like about this movie. There is. First of all, location. Summer camp's a great location. Mm. It it offers the real. Uh, and what I did like about this movie is that first forty minutes is in the tranquil sort of sunny setting with the, the, the forest and the greenery and everything like that. And then it switches at about that point and it brings in the darkness and the rain and all that. Yep. And the, the, the fact that it's a summer camp, it lends itself to an ominous sort of feeling. Yeah, you've kind of rolled two likes into one there, I think. The summer camp setting, for one, which I think was great, mm. um, and the atmosphere that it builds. Yes. Um, the summer camp setting, for a start, it just looks really good on film, for starters. But um, as you mentioned when we watched it, it sort of uh, it, it works to kind of isolate things and make, make them feel isolated. You know, you're yeah. looking around and all you've got are these sort of dense trees. You, you're sort of in, just in this little patch of... Cabins and things like that. Yeah. So that that works really well and, as I said, looks good on film too. And the early part of it has this dreamy sort of quality about it. The sunsets and the, you know, there's yeah, a real sort of lovely sort of quality about it. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, I like the way they did that. And, I, and I'm, I don't think that's a sort of a fluke. That was deliberately done and, and, and it's well done. As you said, it looks great on film. So even at 550000 when you're not working with the best stuff, you can still make it look good. Like, it did still look good. I think the location was probably the prime factor in making this look a little bit classier than than the money could afford to make it yeah, normally. Yeah, you know? that's right. I would fully agree with that. And I think the atmosphere builds into that dark night as it goes into the night and you get the sundown with, um, I believe, Crazy Ralph rolling off into the... The distance and the sun's coming down, and you just get this ominous feeling because he's just been yeah. in there giving you the. He's got a death curse. Yeah. Oh, God, we're going to get into him. <laughs> it says, uh, it says, kind of like you rolling it into into one makes a lot of sense because mm. when they start to build throughout the movie and go from that daytime into 
night time and then you know the weather kicks up and the storm comes in they create that atmosphere really well but as you mentioned the summer camp uh, setting is it just ramps that up a notch yeah and it's the perfect setting for a slasher film yeah you know that's part of the allure of this this movie i think and the reason why it was so successful um, in a lot of cases, is we're talking. Everyone goes to summer camp in America. Mm. You know, it's a major part of of growing up, and to put a group of people at a summer camp and then murder them, people are instantly scared by that. And that's a it's a it's a reaction of, geez, you know, this could happen at my summer camp. Yeah, it's probably another factor <clears throat> in what made the movie successful is that perhaps it was a bit like Jaws and the Shark. You know, people yeah. people love to go to the beach and get in the water, and it scared the crap out of them. That it took this situation they were familiar with and made it really terrifying. Probably a similar sort of thing with the I summer camp. So. A lot yeah. of a lot of American kids experience that. And so, yeah, you're putting something that they hold dear and something that they feel safe and comfortable in and then just turning it on its head. Yeah, that's right. And there's that that feeling of dread as the movie goes into into the darkness and the and the rain comes, as we said. They do build that feeling of dread and they don't just immediately kill everyone off. They do enough building it's not a slow build, it's not a Halloween build, but it's enough to keep you on edge until Bacon gets his yeah. and then it starts to move. I disagree a little in that aspect. I think the atmosphere of the film is really good. I probably wouldn't put that hand in hand with the tension because that was one of my probably issues with it. It wasn't tense in your mind? Uh, not not through a lot of the, a lot of it. There was moments of it, yeah. Um, but I guess we're probably still comparing it to Halloween because it was so fresh in the mind. But it, it falls a bit short. Maybe tension's not the right word. But there's this, the sequence where we start to see um, the hands of the killer and the feet in the you know going and pe- moving around in the in the actual camp um, when it's raining. You know. You, so they're in the bathroom, that girl's in the bathroom, you just see the door open, you just see the, the feet at the bottom, and then you also see the hand at the shower curtain. Yep. Maybe tension's not the right word there, well, but that, I really like those touches. Those moments, touches. those moments, especially the one you talk about, were good, whereas Halloween did that through the whole movie. Yeah. They were a little too fleeting in this one for yeah. me. They were just here and there. They and that was they were the strong points. There was, that, there was one bit early on with Ned where you just see someone moving into the cabin during the day and he sees them and goes, oh, you know, and goes and follows. But then that stopped, didn't it? And then mm. the rain came and we get it again, get the feet and the hands, then that stops again. Yeah. You know, just, yeah, you're right. It just didn't, I didn't try and keep that up. Maybe they felt they were aping Halloween too far and they just thought we need to go elsewhere. But I think a little bit more of that probably would have, Given it a bit more style. Yeah, it would have would have worked better yeah. for the movie, I think. And uh, special effects. Special effects, they look, <laughs> they still hold up. The high definition uh, clean up, I suppose, sort of highlighted. The, you know, <laughs> it's you could see well, you could see the seams for the, Skin for the first time. I didn't take any points off for that because I still think they hold up and. You know, back then they probably thought <laughs> no one's ever going to see this in crystal clear pictures. So no, it doesn't really no. matter if the skin tone doesn't match completely. Uh, even still, I am a, a fan of the old practical effects. And I think Tom Savini was, I think it's fair that he has this reputation as probably the star of Friday the 13th. Yeah, yeah. Well, I believe he was doing junkets and, 
you know, because he was being used to promote the movie and, and I believe was used later in other slasher films that he worked on to promote it because he was being sort of, I guess, touted as this godfather of gore type of thing. And look, they still work. There's still a magic to it. Mm. Even though you can see the skin tones are different from, you know, say the throat slash at the start, you can just see the skin tone is not the same at all. You can almost see the blood piping up come up through the neck, but it's still solid enough 30 years later to make you go, wow, you know, that still looks good. Mm. And I guess my preference for practical effects comes from the way you just described it. It's like a magician. Even though you know it's fake, um, you're still watching it and thinking, how the hell did they do that? Exactly. And that's why practical effects, uh, I think that's why I like to watch them on screen. It just added a little bit of that movie magic that's probably fallen by the wayside a little on CGI. Yeah. CGI has got, <clears> its, got its pluses, obviously. Like we can do things that we just never imagined. Yeah. But it does take a little, little tiny bit of that magic away for me. And I wish some of the lower end movies, like things like the Avengers and stuff like that, okay, you got to have your CGI yeah. there. And it is dazzling. Yeah. But God, I'm sick of seeing CGI blood spatters yeah. and things like that. I kind of wish. Throats cut and stuff. Arterial spray and yeah. throat. Come on. Like, that's practical. That's easy practical. Yeah. Like, any good special effects man can do that um, with ease. And it's far more advanced even practically, today than it was when Savini was doing it. So yeah. if Savini was getting it reasonably well done in 1980, then there's no point. There's no reason to shy away from it now. Exactly. Um, the final 10 minutes of the movie, pro- again, is tense the right word? Probably not, but it's kind of fun and entertaining, that last 10, when it- they have that slap smack down and, you know, they sort of get stuck into each other and the final girl comes into play. Yeah, I would say tense is... Probably fair in that one. It's it's exciting. Yeah. It kind of ramps up quickly and it doesn't sort of skimp on, you know, a bit of biffo and a couple of, you know, they, they come to blows a few times and they actually she actually fights for her life pretty well. So I like that. She's not just a sort of a timid sort of character who just sort of gets warped in the end. Yeah. So I did like all that. I think the, the that final 10 minutes is quite good. I do like it. My only drama would be... You know, you you belt Mrs. Voorhees with a frying pan, and seemingly <laughs> seemingly have her uh, knocked out. She drops a machete, so instead of maybe picking it up and arming yourself, or possibly you know finishing the job. Yeah. I know that sounds harsh, but she's a she's a serial killer. Yeah, you leave the machete where it is. You race out the front, and you sit down. Makes sense. Sounds sounds sensible. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was my only problem with it, and it. It makes it kind of obvious that they just wanted that that big finale on yeah. the archery range, which and is just, why she kind of goes outside yeah. and then sits down. And they just kind of actually they prolong it some a little bit too long. It kind of does drag slightly near the end because, as you say, you know, every time she has a chance to do the job, finish the job, she doesn't. Yeah. Until we get down onto the beach and we're, you know, we're getting to the end. Yeah. It's only a little bit of that that crept in. Mm. Overall, I, I, I would agree with you. I think that's pretty exciting and I, I'd... Put that in the in the likes. Oh, definitely. We watched Halloween two episodes ago, and I think we made mention. I, I know I, I made mention at the time that Halloween was the granddaddy. Yeah, Halloween started the slasher, sort of built that initial skeleton, 
of how your slasher movie sort of worked, template-wise. And the guys who created Friday the 13th have been upfront and honest and said that they ripped it off. And you can they, see, you it can see it. certain elements like the point of view and all that kind of stuff. And the killer, yeah. But I actually think one of its probably positives and one of the likes is it kind of does build on that template a little bit more. We bring a little bit, a few of those other kind of maybe they're dumb cliches, some of them, but it does add a few extra things to it. And you can see why it became a success as well as, you know, so Halloween was a big success in 78. You can see why this probably came as, became a success because, and the franchise became a success, is because they began the template thing and they just began churning out these films based on the same breakdown, really. Yeah, I uh, agree there that I think Friday the 13th probably served, although it's an inferior film, it probably served to nail down a few of those cliches. Mm. And a few of the a few of those things within the template of a, of a horror movie, um, and I guess this is what you expect. Yeah, and it gave a blueprint how to do it cheaply, as you like to describe them. The, the spuds, spuds and burger, spuds and burger, mate. I you mean, just, yeah. Whereas Halloween was sure it wasn't caviar filmmaking, but it was at the very least perhaps low rent lobster filmmaking. Yeah, this stuff is pure spuds and burger. It this is. is your this. The Friday the 13th franchise is your McDonald's of, mm. Halloween, of, of, of horror. It's how do you do this as cheaply as possible and make money out of it. Exactly. And you watch the document, the Crystal Lake Memories documentary and you listen to Frank Mancuso Jr. who produced a lot of the later sequels. He, that's what he says. He says it's pure commerce. The, the series was pure commerce. They knew they were making them for nothing and they were getting big returns on nothing. Yeah. They didn't have to pay big actors and as Jason became the star later on, you didn't need quality actors. You just needed Jason doing what he did best. You know? And let's not kid ourselves. I'm sure John Carpenter wasn't telling his agent, you can stick your royalty checks. I'm in it for the artistic integrity. No. Uh, and, but there is a little bit more merit in Halloween than there is in, in this. There's a quality to Halloween that's not evident here. And even even the, the later Halloween movies probably took... A, a couple of elements of the Friday the 13th in, oh, in terms sure. of trying to make that money and turning sure. it into that, that money-making They uh, They stepped machine. away from the, the Carpenter blueprint and actually took on the Friday the 13th blueprint. Mm. And that's partially Turn because... Turn it out cheap, make your cash. Partially also because of the special effects boom. Because Friday the 13th gave us what Halloween didn't have, which was gore. There was no gore in Halloween. Yep. Friday the 13th ramps the gore up and suddenly people are going, you have got to go and see this. You can't believe what they're doing here. And next thing you know, every horror film after that is trying to one-up each other. So really, Friday the 13th probably paved that road somewhat. It definitely definitely had a, had a hand in it. The surprise ending, Jared. Yeah. This, I actually think this works really well. This is one of the biggest ticks for me. Yeah. Given what we've spoken about and what we've we've read about and watched in the in the Crystal Lake Memories stuff, it seems like it was it was probably tacked on with money considerations in mind. Yeah. Regardless, I think it's kind of a, a little bit of a masterstroke because it had that element of surprise. You weren't expecting anything from Jason. Jason was just a name. Jason, yeah. Jason was nobody. He was just this plot point at the start. And it, it came at a time when it wasn't as prevalent prevalent to have these surprise endings and the sequels. So, yeah, it, it's it, it, it was probably the masterstroke. 
I think it probably was. Other than the other than hiring Savini, the masterstroke of this movie is to pr- give us that on the way out. Because you know what you're talking about as you're leaving the cinema? Talking about Jason coming up out of the lake. Yeah. And as as we talked about the atmosphere before, it had conditioned you to kind of think, oh, you know, this, this, the nighttime, the darkness has come, the storm's come, that's when the shit really hits the fan. Mm. And then we're in back, we're back in sunny daylight, she's on the lake, you think it's finished. And, and the music sort of is this sort of really gentle kind of slow building kind of, you know, nice stuff. Yeah. And then suddenly... He comes up. Yeah, so it works. I think it works as a as a piece of filmmaking on the end of the movie in that regard. But then, of course, it it allowed them the avenue to, to have, have a sequel sequels, if they wanted it, which they cashed in on again and again, substantially <laughs> cashed in on. But it is it is a, a big masterstroke. Okay, the dislikes. We've mm. said we, we've actually covered quite a few things that we like. Yeah, so it's there not is, all bad. It's not. It's not. It's not one of those movies I've looked at and gone, oh my God, what was I thinking? No, there's still a lot to like. I guess when I when I opened with the somber tone and said it was sad, <laughs> I guess it's because we were coming in still in our heads. This movie's a classic. Yeah. And it's probably not a no, classic. No, nah. It's probably more important for what it did for the genre than yes. necessarily the quality of the movie. See, Halloween did a lot for the genre, but it is a classic film. Friday the 13th is not a classic, but it... It has a position. It has its in place where, for sure. Where you know how where horror went and where slasher movies went. So we'll just put that out there before we dig into the dislikes. Right, the dislikes. It's it's fair to say that the direction of this movie by Sean Cunningham, I think workmanlike is a probably a, a nice way to put it. I'm just going to have to ask you to take a breath and count to ten because yeah. I know you might sort of tee off here I in just, a minute. I, I, I just find a lot of it really pedestrian. Yep. He he doesn't he doesn't do anything that Carpenter hadn't already done, and I know that they ripped it off, and I know that they're upfront about ripping it off, but I find that he's just aping Carpenter with all this POV stuff and and all that kind of gear. But then any other t- any other um, sequences in the movie, they just lack any real direction and style. They're just kind of there. We move the camera here. We move the camera there. We get a shot from here. You know, it's it's very sort of um, I guess I'd say uh, predictable in the way he, the direction is. And to me, that's a real major problem with it. Yeah, I I can't say you're wrong. Yeah. At all, I just think it's it is pretty pretty run of the mill, and I I don't know maybe I'm making a judgment on what we know now about Sean Cunningham, but maybe it seemed like his eyes were on the cash the whole time. This was just you know we've got a we've got a schedule. Let's stick to it. Let's not do anything overly fancy. Just just yeah. bang it out. Yeah, I think you, I think you're probably correct there. Look, money's probably got something to do with it too. You've only got a certain number of days to whip out a movie like this. But I just, I get the feeling, and I'd really like to know this, um, and I think it's alluded to very briefly in this in the documentary, I think this was actually a rewritten script, fairly substantially rewritten at the time, and it was probably done during filming and things like that. Perhaps they just thought, well, we need to get certain things. Yeah. There are certain bits we must cover. All the gore scenes have got to be covered. Jason coming up out of the lake, that's a must. The rest of it, who cares? Who cares what slips in between those bits? 
you know. So it just feels like a little bit of a eyes on the money. This is a potential gold mine if we can get it right. And I think that's where they their, their sort of heart lay in the film. It's not. A, I don't think it's a passion project. Yeah, it was just knocking it out for as cheap as possible. Get it done. Get the elements that you said in there, and and hope for the best. I think that's that's kind of what it comes across as. Dialogue, all round pretty poor. Yeah, I there's nothing that there's, there's you know Halloween has some of those great monologues. You know, even the the kind of corny, but they're they're good. You know, with the things about the de- the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes, and all that stuff. There's just nothing here. None of it. There's not a monologue at all that makes me that I, I, I would ever repeat or. Or remember the only thing that I always remember is his name was Jason, and he was my son. Yeah, outside Betsy Palmer, there's nothing really that stands out that you remember, except for the dud stuff. Oh, crazy Ralph! Uh, oh, crazy Ooh. Ralph! Now that he gets his own dislike. You know what? That's potentially what probably the worst cliche that this movie ever put forward. Yeah, the soothsayer. Yeah. The, well, guy, the guy that's got death curses on everything. Oh, I guess we know this is sort of part of classic storytelling, the soothsayer, and there's this whole um, – if you want to hear it explained far better than we could explain it by two far more intelligent <laughs> people than us, um, there's, a, there's a podcast called Faculty of Horror that's really good. I think it's out of Canada, um, two women from Canada, and it's really, really good. Definitely – Definitely worth checking out. But just to kind of summarise um, the things that they said and the things that I've sort of learnt about storytelling over the years, the soothsayer is sort of tied to classic storytelling and especially in this setting because it's the group of young people mm. and, uh, you know, it's tied to the summer camp setting, the coming of age stuff. Yeah. The soothsayer is another one of these people that's sort of looking at them with sort of moral judgement. Nah, yeah, young little smart yeah, what, you what you kids, doing. what your kids are doing is wrong basically. Yeah, so. Yeah. We understand that. Not sure Crazy Ralph was the best sort of no. method to convey it. And later, um, Friday the 13th and later slasher films did it even worse. Mm. I mean, there's one in, I think it's Friday the 13th Part 3, the guy laying in the middle of the road with the eyeball. Oh, God. Remember him? Yeah. And then there's the one in, my personal favourite is My Bloody Valentine, the barber. Yeah. <laughs> ah, shut the fuck up. <laughs> You're all going to die. You know, this kind of stuff. It's just, it's just awful. It's I was just awful. kind of waiting for one of the townspeople to just sort of roll out of one of the shops and go, Piss off, yeah, Ralph. Yeah, yeah. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it never happened. You'd think that two seconds after that guy opened his mouth, he'd walk off. Oh, yeah, he's such a terrible actor too, and he pulls those faces and yeah. just, oh, God. <laughs> he looks like he's, you know, it's a big constipated dislike. or something. It's one of those dislikes that has kind of become one of the, the likes of the series. People yeah. seem to have this real love for Crazy Ralph. And I think every time you watch him, you just think, oh, God, I forgot how annoying he was. Yeah, he's not my favourite. I didn't like that. And, and unfortunately, he gets some pretty poor dialogue, the, the limited dialogue he gets. And doesn't exactly polish it up. No, no, no. He's. I mean, I know it's a turd, but he's put another turd on top of <laughs> He hasn't even bothered to try and buff that up. You know, so... The dialogue all around is pretty bad, though. Mm. And, again, I think it comes back to trying to knock out a quick-fire script with certain elements that 
you're not you're paying attention to those major elements. You're not paying attention to the package as a whole. Surely they could have watched the dailies or something and thought, geez, who thought this guy was a good idea? Cut that guy out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you needed? Ooh, cut that guy out. <laughs> Character development that goes nowhere. Now, we really found this kind of interesting because I had never actually thought of any of this. I hadn't even looked at it. But you've got Steve Christie... The owner of the camp, the guy with the perm and the pair of daisy jukes and the, the bloody, he wearing a bandana around his neck. He, he looks ridiculous. Thin coating of hair, top Mustaka. to bottom. <laughs> going on as well. And there's a scene where he's standing there with Alice and she's, you know, repairing the roof or whatever and he's looking through the sketchbook that she has and she he starts saying, um, you know, she's been drawing him at night and stuff like that. And then she sort of says, he makes mention of how, uh, you know, are you going to stay? And she sort of says, oh, I'm not sure. He reaches out and cups her chin in his hand. It's a bit creepy. It's kind of, it's it's meant to be sexual, I think. Yeah. And it insinuates they had a relationship at some stage or are currently in one. And then it, I understand that Steve Krisky gets killed. He, he disappears from the, the camp and he gets killed later and he never has any other interaction with her. But it's just dropped. She doesn't even mention it. She doesn't even mention that they slept together or, yeah, or does she? I, I, it was one of those things we were watching it together and it just kind of hit me like an uppercut. Yeah. I've never, never seen it. I've never well, we'd seen it before it but we'd never sort of taken it in and I remember saying to you, What's going on there? You know, Steve's done this. We're both watching it and seeing what he does, and then we kind of said to each other, they don't, nothing ever happens with them for the rest of the movie, does it? And lo and behold, we watched a bit closer, and of course it didn't. It was just this plot thread. It's like they put a, put a subplot in there, and it just was left. It didn't go anywhere, or they just dropped it, and this plays into that first, uh, not the first 40 minutes, but, this is just a 40-minute patch after they get to the camp where it's just a grind. It's a real <laughs> chore to watch. And is it just me or does she look uncomfortable? <laughs> um, I probably you know? would be if he was... She kind of looks as if to say, don't touch me, you dirty <laughs> old man. You know, is it just the actress is not is is a bit blank in the face, but I just remember it thinking, uh, it just, she doesn't look happy. And it just it, it kind of... It goes into what we sort of mentioned about the writing. Like, you could prob- probably put it down to misdirection, trying to sort of establish these things. And then, oh, you th- you think he's not going to get killed? Well, we just killed him. But it doesn't come off like that. It comes yeah. off as poorly written. Yeah, and there's another plot thread involving Ned and Your Kevin favorite? Bacon. <laughs> Ned, fucking Ned. <laughs> Where do they get these sort of characters from? These. Joking assholes! That <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. These guys are the bane of these movies. They're just flogs, you know. Like, and he's the bit where he comes out with his football jersey tied the nappy round him, and he's he's got a um, headdress on, and he's you know carrying on. It's like, oh. Just get rid of him. I was waiting for the same bloke that told Ralph to piss off to come out and say, you too, Ned. Get out of here, Ned. (laughs) Pack your bags. (laughs) You're going home. Thankfully, he's killed off early. But there's a scene where you got Kevin Bacon and I think it's his missus. 
Yeah. His girlfriend, I assume they, because they end up having sex, but, you know, it could have just been a... A, a one day sort of fling or something, but no, it sets. I think it sets it up. I think it's his girlfriend, and Ned looks over at them. Now he's about a couple of hundred meters away or something. He looks yeah. over him, and he kind of looks pissed off. And then she says to Bacon, "Oh, poor old Neddy," and Bacon sort of brushes him off. Now you know, forget about him. And I'm assuming it's meant to be like the third wheel. He's the third wheel out of these guys, and maybe he likes her. I don't know, but. It is just totally forgotten about as all as well. Yeah, well, Ned's just, killed and that's it. This the, that forty minute stretch just it never nothing's none of these characters are doing anything. Nothing's really happening. It's is it until Bacon starts getting it on that really it starts <laughs> picking up? Well, <laughs> because because right. other you're right. Nothing's happening until the the game of strip monopoly. Come on, <laughs> you couldn't. Find a yeah a game of life or something <laughs> in the covers. <laughs> Monopoly dead set. Monopoly takes that long to play. Who it was probably Ned that came up with the strip Monopoly <laughs> idea. You need to get Mayfair to drop anyone's drawers <laughs> in strip Monopoly. Come on. Uh, so that stuff is you're right. It's a grind. Mm. It's a real grind, and that's one of the the main problems with the movie is that 40 minute stretch before the killings begin yeah that just takes so long to you know i understand setting up but you've got to set up and knock them down you've got to know your characters by about 30 minutes in i reckon yeah there's a lot of superfluous stuff going on and there's a lot of superfluous characters too because there's that guy forgive me i don't know what his name is he kills the snake Mm. With the machete, and he's kind of he's he's down the he's down the stretch. I think he's the second last person alive. Yeah, he he jumps in on the Steve and Alice. Is uh, his name the Harry? Budding, the budding Steve and Alice romance. It's kind of like a menage a trois <laughs> going on. He, I think his name's Harry or something. I reckon he has maybe five to ten lines of dialogue total. Yeah, and he has no character arc. He has no extra. Bits that go into his character. There's no mention of a love triangle or is he interested in Alice? And yet I kind of got a vibe that those two were a better fit Yeah. later on. I think this is uh, this is where we go back to Friday the 13th sort of establishing things about slasher films. This is the first one that I can really remember being aware of that really had characters that were there for pure fodder and nothing else really. Mm. There's these people that just don't advance the plot. I think they kind of tangle it up a bit in that in that stretch before anything happens. They're kind of sometimes it feels like, well, what do we do with this bloke before we kill him? You know, oh geez, he can be the third wheel with bacon and his, yeah, his, yeah. yeah. It really he's is. The, the, he's the jokester. Well, it really introduces these people to be there to do very little else other than provide. <laughs> the, the killer with it, someone to honestly, kill. Honestly, Jared, do you think they were sitting around at the table going, Ned, he can be our Joker type. He'll get a few laughs in the cinema. Fuck off, he will. <laughs> it seems, seems they like work had, I don't think there's one time where I even look at the guy and think, yeah, that was mildly amusing. To me, it seems like they work backwards. They've yeah. got a number of kills they want in there. They've got a yeah. few good ideas of how to do it. Okay, so we need this many characters. Okay, what Chuck are they for? Chuck Who cares? <laughs> Just get them in. Uh, and, and that really hampers the film. Even though there are slasher movies that I prefer to this one, 
that run a similar template and yeah. have your same fodder characters. Yeah, I think they probably learnt to push them off to the side a little bit more than this one does. Yeah. Maybe. And I think some of those later slashes potentially had a core group of characters you get to know and then your fodder on the side who you can quickly knock knock off. You don't need to know them, yeah. but you know three or four people in the middle. You really don't know anyone in this movie. No, not really. Even Alice doesn't really get much in the way of character development. No, she doesn't mind a cup of tea. It's probably cup her, of tea. her drink of choice. <laughs> oh, everyone's dead or missing, right? <laughs> and it's pissing rain. There's no phone. <laughs> I believe this is all established. Yeah. Yet we get a five-minute scene where she makes a cup of tea. <laughs> and it's talk about boring. Talk about drawing. You're trying to ramp up the, the tension and you're trying to get that. You're getting to a point where we're about to find out who's doing this. And then you stop for tea time. Talk about just just taking the tension and then just going and just chucking it away. <laughs> that that really ground things to a halt. That was It was an interesting, interesting choice. This is where you get the three stars or the two and a half out of five. Yeah, this is For where every we, good thing there's a lot of there's a bad thing. This is kind of what took it away from classic status for us. Noticing all this stuff. <laughs> Seriously. Some of the negatives are quite heavy. Mm. But I just feel there's a balance. For every there really is. good thing, there's something bad in it that's counterproductive. Yeah, there is. It. There is. Okay. There were a couple of key bits that you pointed out to me. Kevin Bacon pointed one of them <laughs> at us, I believe. Uh, talk me through 24 minutes in, Jared, and give well, me some idea what you saw. Because I hadn't seen this before well, either. I would not, believe we had to pause it. <laughs> there's not really any other way to put it, I guess. And there's a little bit too much fat on the bacon, <laughs> basically. <laughs> We, we have a, we have a, the, the campers are all going swimming and we come across a shot of Alice and what's his name? On the, on what's the, his name? One. <laughs> what's his name? Two's drowning, yeah, I think. We have, we have Alice and what's his name? One sort of on the, on the um, sort of jetty thing. And <laughs> there's just another head in shot. <laughs> Kevin Bacon, the only bloke. It's a pan up too. It's kind it's a of pan up. up. Boom. Uh, New the, cast member. Well, <laughs> Kevin Bacon, funnily enough, is the only bloke in that scene in Speedos. He and shouldn't have been. And he's cracked a fat. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, that's that's what it is. I mean, yeah, not <laughs> to cool. put a finer point on it, it sticks out. Like Kevin Bacon's cock. <laughs> yeah, it's it's there for you. It's sort of, as you said, that nobody noticed this and said, we better do another take. <laughs> Kevin, can you just go and tip a bucket of ice water on yourself or something? Go like, and have a cold shower, Kevin. Just have a, <laughs> dip, in the, just have a dip in the lake. It's, uh, was it short short ride bacon? Or was no, it no, long? It was a, look, it was a, it was a full rasher. Full rasher, full rasher of bacon. And, uh, you know, we've talked. We've talked about ham in the Halloween episode. Yeah. We're talking we're about the, bacon. We're in the deli. Well, we're we're covering all the small goods. We are. We are. It wasn't small goods, though. <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> it wasn't. Uh, you know, and I think 
Bacon's performance is not the only thing that was considered stiff. <laughs> yeah, he, he did sort of, uh, his performance was quite wooden. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we God. We don't mean to dwell on it. We don't mean to dwell on it, but look, it is, it's just so bloody prominent. Yeah. It has to be kind of mentioned. Yeah, it's, it had to be, had to be pointed it's out. It's unbelievable. We paused it. And both just about fell on the, fell on the floor because laughing. I didn't even. I don't. I, you know, it's not something that I ever looked for. Well, look, we knew about it. We were aware of it. Everyone, anyone that's kind of familiar with the Friday the Thirteenth series knows about Bacon's fat. <laughs> but we, it was one of those things where I'd never really, I'd never come across it really, and I'd never sort of gone looking for it when we were watching it. And then the other night, it just sort of happened, and oh. That's it. There's bacon's off. We rewound and paused yeah. and then both hit the deck laughing. <laughs> how did anyone miss that? I oh, know, I know. It really, it really does. Somebody should have been fired for, yeah. for not seeing that. Uh, <laughs> just going, mate. Let's do that again. <laughs> I mean, that was a simple shot. You got two what's his names and a what's that. <laughs> 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 in the one scene together. Oh god. Sharing screen time. Oh, so uh, other than the other than the obvious, I do like to say it and I am a Kevin Bacon fan. Does Bacon sizzle in this for you? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't sizzle. Bacon is a young working actor, okay? Based on the 24 minute mark, he was excited to be in feature films. <laughs> <laughs> but he's at that stage nobody would have predicted that he would become a quality performer. That he yeah, became. look, I don't know if you could have predicted that he'd become, you know, a fairly big star, which he did. Because Put it this he didn't... way. Put it this way. I, you watch Halloween, and I believe we touched on it when we did our podcast, Jamie Lee Curtis, you could see that she had star potential. Yeah. I don't know if you can see it with Bacon. I don't know if I'd say star potential, but I think he is a step above a couple of the other guys in there. He gets... He gets very little to do or say. He doesn't. Well, he's not a major part, but I think you could. He gets. You just look at him, and he's a bit. So more I guess in Bacon's or... in Bacon's world, he's probably sitting there going, "Well, I really wasn't given anything to do other than get a boner." <laughs> you just can't let it go. This could go on forever. You can't this let this, it this go. podcast could be two hours long. Oh, It'll be all dick jokes. And... <laughs> okay, another thing that you pointed out, which I again didn't really. I, it, it's almost as if. I fell into the trap. <laughs> I fell into the trap of picking up on the, the the key points of this movie and not worrying about the rest, just like the filmmakers already, did. I was going to say it's already been established. The, the filmmakers can, didn't uh, do it, so why should I? It's already been established that you can watch a movie and a pair of boobs can come on screen, and after seeing the movie fifty times, you still don't notice. True. Them. So it's probably not a surprise. That no, no, it's you're not. missing some it's of those other. I think that, like any of these, like this particular movie, I, I was interested in the gore and all that as well. Not even you could miss Bacon's old fella. Oh, well, yeah, no, yeah, not even that one. Really, really was impossible to miss. But you know, things like Savini's gore effects and that, I kind of, when I was young, I focused on those bits. Yeah, and you don't realise that the rest of it's a little bit shoddy. Yep. But you pointed out something about the Who Done It. They kind of try and weave in this whodunit element at the start, as you said, with some sort of misdirection here and there, but it doesn't really pay off 
it, it probably shouldn't. Yeah, I guess my it's problem. Sort of useless. Well, my problem with the whodunit is, I, I don't know if they they wanted to set it up as a whodunit or whether it was, um, well, obviously it was intention to sort of go this way, but I don't understand the whodunit when it's really a have a guess, mm. and even when you have a guess, the character that you bring in to be the did it. Is he, there was never any clues as to that it could have been this person because she's never in the movie prior to that. Yeah. That last 10 minutes is where she shows up and we've given you nothing to establish that this is who it might be. So it kind of seems redundant. Yeah. And, and it, 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 again, smells a little of corner cutting. Yeah. It's not even bother with that, you know. It's not even should we put a little sort of a little clue that might show that Pamela's involved? You really kind of get one clue, and it's that somebody died there or, you know, people died there or whatever, but the only thing that that could probably lead you to is, oh, okay, so maybe it's not one of the kids. It might be an older person or something like that. But even that, it's just sort of mentioned in passing, and there's never any, there's never anything to tell you that this is who it might be. So although I've kind of accepted it over the years, I guess my issue is if you're going in with a bit of that whodunit, <laughs> If you're hooking people in with it, oh, this is cool, we can sort of try and figure out who's doing it, you might want to throw the who in the movie somewhere. Yeah. Prior to the reveal. And that's that, yeah, to me, that's just a little bit of, again, uh, let's not worry about it. Yeah. It's not really worth it. No one's going to care about the who done it aspect. And they were correct. Look, they were correct in some You had to give the filmmakers a bit of credit for being very savvy that this movie was going to rely on certain things and this is what we're going to give them. Yeah. And the audience is going to, the audience is not going to care. Exactly. About and I think that, the fact that the dialogue sucks and the, and there's no character arcs and there's no, you know, whodunit mystery. They don't care. They're going to be wowed by all this other shit. They don't really mind. Yeah. And so that's a savvy bit of filmmaking. The filmmaking on a whole is not that good though, unfortunately. No, no. That's really the end of our discussion about the film. Nothing more to say about Kevin Bacon. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've run out okay, of Todger jokes. Okay. It, you know, if anyone wants to contact us about it, I'd really like to get people's uh, feedback and opinions on it because it is one of those polarising films, I reckon, because some people hold it up in the classic, on the pantheon of classics in horror. Others think it's a, a bottom feeder. I'd, We're I'd, kind of in the middle well, I'd, I'd be pushing it up towards the top, but again, I say maybe that's because I like the Friday the 13th series as a whole, mm. and it, I still have a respect for what this put in place. Yes. Even though some people hate things about the template and movies hate like- hate the cliches. Yes, and movies like Scream made fun of how ridiculous it can get sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, I'd still be pushing towards that, that more positive- Oh, absolutely, and I, I'm in exactly the same boat. I still feel there's, there's enough positives there to just push it past the it's not just average, it's better than average. But, yeah, if there's anyone out there who, who, who wants to give their thoughts and feedback on it, we'd be greatly appreciated. We'd greatly appreciate that, and we'd be more than happy to discuss it and further podcasts uh, because it is something that everyone's got to, you know, think about these movies and, and has, a, has an opinion about them. We're going to take a, another quick break and then we're going to come back and have a little bit of a discussion topic about the film. Oh, my sweet, innocent Jason. My only child. Jason. 
you had him drowned. You never paid any attention. What we're going to discuss today with regards to Friday the 13th is actually the future of Jason. Over the past probably couple of months, there's been a bit of movement on a couple of projects involving the Friday the 13th series and Jason himself. And we sort of want to discuss though, all those projects and sort of go through what we, what we think is going to be a success, what the potential problems might be with some of this stuff. And, um, you know, just our general thoughts on where it's heading um, as a franchise. And that just that's not just in films, that's in television and computer games. First cab off the rank, I guess, is there's been production, or, or at least uh, I think it's in production, of a TV series based on Friday the 13th, not necessarily involving Jason. Yeah, not that's, a hundred, that's what I'm... I'm not 100% sure on the, on the deep details of this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but my the information I found online points to the fact that it relates to the Crystal Lake area yep. and the inhabitants of the area and, and perhaps falls into the timeline around when Jason was murdering. I, I don't know the... I know Sean Cunningham's involved. Do you have any other details? Got any... No, pretty much just what you <clears throat> what you've... Uh, put out things are pretty thin on the ground with it, but I don't know about this one. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna be a success on what we've got so far. The reason I say that is, uh, I think there's been a lot of really good horror TV shows coming out. Um, I look at something like Hannibal, for example, that's been uh, that's had the time, the money, the effort put into it. Mm. I just can't see that. With anything related to Friday the 13th I'm not sure if Sean Cunningham's involved But I can't see him sort of Going all out to hire The um, best The best of the best Writers, actors, things like that He's going to want to do this on a budget I'd assume Mm. And I'm just not sure We're that interested in finding out Who lives at Crystal Lake around this time I'm open to it I'd watch it and I'd give it a chance, but I just can't see where the interest lies. I think you'd a show with that kind of premise in a series that has a rabid fan base thoroughly connected to Jason, the character of Jason, if that's not what you're offering, then you've got problems. Well, I look at something like Gotham at the moment, and I'm a, I'm a big Batman fan. Mm. I was pretty excited about this because I'm aware of, of stories in the Batman sort of canon that have used peripheral characters or, or used no Batman. other than people other than Batman or Batman was fleeting appearances and things like that and they've worked. Mm. There's been some really good stories of that nature. The other thing is Batman's got a rich history of, of other interesting characters, interesting villains and things yeah. like that. <clears throat> and some people are just hating Gotham and saying, Why would you do Batman with no Batman? I'm not particularly one of them. I don't love the show but I'm really sort of still enthusiastic about it and thinking it could probably hit its stride. But I just don't see a rich history of characters around no, Jason that you can really work unless with. Unless we mine the gold mine that was the new a new beginning, the Friday 13th, mm. where it was set out the bloody... It was hillbilly central mm. out there. And look, we could be totally <laughs> wrong. We could watch this show and it could have all the sort of requisite nods to... 
the fans, you know, particular things that happened in the movies and, and, and we could really love it. But I just don't know what you're going to do with it. Are we having a – is it going to be like, you know, a Crystal Lake 90210 or something? No. We're going to get a bunch of teens and have them go through their teenage years not. around Crystal. I don't, like, I don't know what – I just don't get – I can't see where they're going to go with it. And, again, this could all be rumour. It may be a TV series. Perhaps Jason's being moved to TV. And yeah. maybe that's a decision that's based on um, <clears throat> the quality of the last couple of films. I don't yeah. know. Maybe they're considering that that should happen. Quite problem frankly, is, I'm not even sure Jason can work on TV. <laughs> the problem is we're also hearing reports that there's still a movie in the works. Yeah. A sequel to, that, to the remake, which... I believe we got updates recently that talked about found footage and there was other yeah. potential stuff that just sounded ridiculous. Like it the found footage like... had been going on for, there's been rumours floating about that for about a year and a half, two years or something. I don't think that's the way to go. I could get I could get on board with it if it was a portion of the movie. Yes. Don't think we can do a whole Friday's I think it would be footage. kind of creepy to have people using cameras or whatever there and they they notice in the footage here's this hulking you see him moving in the in the footage in the, yeah. in the, in the peripherals well it kind of lends itself perfectly to that because we can see what these people are filming but they might not necessarily yeah, have seen see it so him. it lends itself perfectly to those little sort but of you can't have a whole of... movie that way because no, Jason so. doesn't w- w- would he be wearing a camera well can you imagine the kills and stuff like how they you know, Jason's going to bust in and kill someone and it's going to be so shaky and people are going to be running and things like that. I just can't see it working. No. Uh, I think that's other, a, I think that's that's pre- predominantly a rumour. I don't think that's really been... Uh, I think it was pretty... It, it was thrown around enough that I think it had to be on the producers' minds at some point. Oh, of course. seriously considered. From, that's probably from a money I think if you go back... Give. Well, I think if you go back and, and check out some of the um, quotes from... What's his name? Bloke that directed. No, 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 bloke that directed Hatchet. Um, Adam Green. Adam Green, yeah, yeah. He, when he was being courted, I think he confirms that they they were throwing around found footage to him. Right. So I don't think it's just rumour. I think that that is quite serious. Hopefully they've gone away from that. The one that worried me a little bit is, I think it might have been your mate, your mate Fuller, throwing out these vague... Uh, cryptic sort of, well, maybe not even cryptic, just these comments throwing out these vague statements that, oh, Jason might not even be in it and all this sort of stuff. Mm. It just doesn't fill me with a lot of hope. And then there was another rumour I caught that the movie was going to be set in 1980, in the 1980s, which I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Once again, um, the Jason universe works better without mobiles. I could see the Jason, a Jason film being so ridiculous if someone's got a mobile, they see this, you know. And it works better with... Um, with Massive killer running around and then they just go... Well, know, it works better with Daisy Dukes and, and yeah, tying scarves around the neck. scarves around the neck and man perm. <laughs> That's far more um, acceptable. Yeah. I, my, my big worry is when he's talking about doing it without Jason, I just think I'm, I'm open to watching something different. Like I'm one of these people that was kind of more on board with Jason Goes to Hell than I was automatically. Not I hate it because it's done something different with Jason. I'm happy to look at these things. I've mm. got an open mind and I'll make a call on them after I see them. But you're kind of in a bit of a corner here because if you try to do something without Jason, 
You're alienating the few people that are really interested in the seeing this thing The guys who will put you, give you an opening weekend. Well, these you pissed the, those guys off. The fan base has dwindled, obviously. You yeah. can't just open a Friday the 13th movie and guarantee a, a hit anymore. Mm, no. But there's a core group that will still get, get along to it. If you're going to alienate them, you're really taking a risk. Yes. Um, but, you know, I, I'm on board. I'll, I'll go and see whatever they put out. I don't think you'll fill the space with new people if you alienate the old. And even the new people, even the new people, if you put a hockey mask on the poster, even kids that haven't seen Friday the 13th kind of already know that this, this, oh yeah, yeah, hockey mask, uh, masked killer. Yeah. It's kind of become this, just this, uh, this idea that everyone knows. Yeah, that's right. Whether you've seen Friday the 13th movies or not. I'll tell you my other problem with this cryptic sort of tweets. Don't fuck with me. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Don't don't tweet this shit out that if if it's not the truth or it's just to rile people up or it's just to make, you know, get a bit sort of you never you know, never know what we're gonna do. It don't reeks, give me that. That's it, rubbish. It reeks of me for to me, sorry, it reeks of me. I reek pretty bad. <laughs> it, it reeks to me of um him putting that out there. Just so they can, you know, in a year's time, they can throw out a quick snapshot. This is the new Jason. Yeah. Oh, we gotcha. Yeah. I just think, I'm thinking it's going to be Jason all the way, but it's just a ham-fisted attempt to try and put us, yeah, put it's us just, off the set. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe they are considering it seriously, and that's why he did it. But it just to me, don't do not do that. If, if, if you're going to give us Jason, then just say, look, we're, we're working on it. Mm. I'm with you. Um, the one that I'm most interested in, is the talk of a Friday the 13th computer game, uh, PlayStation 4. Yeah, video game. I'm, video game, which I actually you, like the idea of. I think it could work if done right. I'm quite excited about yeah. it. Quite um, excited. Especially with these, uh, you know, the, the way they have these mass open world ones and, and, and you know, the, the, the campground lends itself to a bit of open world shenanigans, you know. As long as they don't just slap the old Nintendo version with a new coat of paint and put it out uh, there. Remember that? Mate, that Fucking game. I, tell you, I was searching for Jason for about three days. And then you find him in a cabin, you got about 10 seconds, and he just he whoops you. Yeah. Love oh, that game. God. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I too am really excited about this. Only thing that doesn't excite me is Sean Cunningham seems to be meddling again. <laughs> yeah, look. But we got no details about it. We don't know what sort of thing it's going to be. My We're concern not... too, Jared, is this just popped up out of the blue. Just popped up out of it nowhere. It was like nobody had even... Heard of this, yep. and then suddenly, bang, oh, and it's going to be released in 2015. Yeah. So like, hang on a second. It sounds These like. These games take years. Yeah, it sounds like when they do that, it sounds like mobile devices is what I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe. Not entirely sure, but what we've read seems to indicate consoles as well. Yeah. But that gives me a little bit of pause. When you're whipping something out quick, it's usually shit. Yeah, and there's no rush, because we're not getting a Friday the 13th movie this year, so... Just take your time with it. Give me something good. I'm really looking forward to it because I think there's a lot of ways you could go. You could you could play as the campers. You could have, I don't know, they, they could make it so you play as Jason. Um, it could be open world. It might not be. Like there's there's so many angles they could take and I, I, I for one, am, am keen as to see what they come up with. And you could go the whole route of do the whole thing as a counsellor and fight Jason, do the whole thing as Jason. You know, yeah, take that kind take of alien, those, alien oh, yeah, predator, predator game approach. That you know? game sucked, but <laughs> better than that. You know what I mean? Give yeah. you the options mm-hmm. to do something. 
and and yeah, there's we're just starting to see the the slasher sort of idea come out in gaming with that until dawn. Yeah, has been is ready to go and and should be released in 2015. I think the last we heard of that wasn't really positive, but no. I know me and you are absolutely frothy to get a hold of that intra- one. It's something we haven't had. Yeah, in in gaming, the thing about that one, it seems like uh, heavy rain. Where yeah. it's not so much gameplay as you making decisions, decisions yes. in a, in a that, movie that then affect how things work. Which I, I I played Heavy Rain and I really liked it. Yeah, um, it's a totally different different experience. So I could I could go along with that for Until Dawn. And this is the thing too about remember when we we played Call of Duty and they had the Michael Myers yeah pack yeah. That's the kind of thing that Jason could be done with, with Jason. Yeah, as well. yeah. The, 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 I absolutely loved the that. Call that of Call Duty, Duty thing that was great. Awesome. They and also you, had the Predator. Yeah, and, and you it was picked, really I loved cool. how you picked Michael up, and you and then all of a sudden the Halloween music kicks in. Yeah, and it was just awesome. The yeah. only thing I didn't like was that you couldn't see him the whole time. Yeah, you got kind of had to you know get a get a look at a, a mirror or someone mirror, else yeah, seeing someone you. Else seen, yeah, but, but other than that, yeah, it was it was. It was great, really and I cool. could see the potential is there. And to see those that those characters that just haven't uh, haven't had a run on video games for quite some time, yeah, it was a really good. It game. was, it was, yeah. I, I must say, we we played that, and I there was I got a little bit of goosebumps. Yeah, it was a really interesting and really sort of um, something for the fans. Yeah, it's kind of like Call of Duty doing what you know. They've they've got such a big market. They were just going right. Well, you know, what else can we do? What what can we do for yeah. the for other people? Get more people involved. Mm. I think there was actually. Something like that. Uh, I think there's rumours of Jason possibly showing up in the latest Mortal Kombat game. Oh, really? As uh, Freddy was Freddy was uh, downloadable content in the in but the wasn't last. Wasn't Freddy one? also in that other Call of Duty thing we had, or was it Robert England? No, yeah, that was Robert England. That yeah, was that's just right. England himself. But it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where these guys haven't got their own games since the Nintendo, really. Yeah. I can't remember any of them getting it other than uh, uh, some mobile fare. Although yeah. I don't even think any of the big three have got no, mobile no, games. No. Um, I know like movies like Scream and, and Army of Darkness and things like that ended up on, on mobile things. So it's But to get one of those big three in video games, as I said, it always gives me a bit of a chill and a really exciting sort of feeling. So if we get a whole game of one of these guys again. And it's just, it's about time. It is. That's really the the, the gist of it. Yep. Um, Looking forward to whatever the Friday the 13th series brings forward. Mm. And I will watch whatever they put out on TV or in, in, in the cinemas. I'll play the games. I don't care if they're crap. Yep. But... I just would like to see some 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 time taken. That's all. Yeah, I'm a uh, I'm a little bit conflicted because I too want to see the good stuff, but then I know that I've only got a certain amount of years left on this earth, and I just <laughs> want a Friday the Thirteenth movie as quick as possible, yeah. and then follow it up with another one as quick as possible. So soon they'll get one right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Surely enough, I, they'll get one. My right. feeling is, if you throw enough shit against the wall, something's going to stick. Yeah. So just keep rolling them out. Yeah. We'll take our final break and we'll come back and let you know what we're covering next episode. Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. What are you doing out in this mess? Next episode uh, of the Thrill Me podcast, we will be covering one of Sylvester Stallone's best-known works. 
1982's First Blood. I'd like to hope, Jared, just um, as a sort of a side note, that we might come up with some better chairs for our future podcast because my ass is sore. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a side note. They're not built for comfort. I know. Just to let people know, we are currently sitting on. Uh, is this a kids' playset? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a kids' playset from IKEA. Yeah, not it's, built for comfort. Yeah, it's it? not built for comfort. We hope everyone enjoyed this this podcast. Take it easy and um, be sure to uh, get hold of the next one. Find the podcast at Podomatic or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. Like us on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia or contact us at Thrill Me or one word or lowercase at iinet.net.au.